Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. to have you. Uh, a couple things before we start this morning's message. Number one, I might lose my voice. I'm not going to talk super loud, so just hang with me a little bit, okay? I'm on the edge this morning. Uh, the other thing I want to say is uh, at the end of today's message, of course, there's going to be ministry time because there always is. That's what we do here at the Vineyard. We want to pray for people, but you know what? Um, there's a very good chance that some of this morning's ministry is really for you. Uh, it was for several people first service. And I just want to just like shoot the warning shot right here. As we roll through this message, uh, it may land on you in a particular way. And if it's that, if that's you this morning, don't just walk out and leave. That's always the easy thing to do, but, but stay and let someone pray for you this morning, because I think, uh, God wants to put his finger on some things, and, and maybe bring a little bit of healing that we haven't experienced in our life up to this point, okay? So that would be uh, the second thing I want to say. Now what I want to do is just go ahead and start the message. This is our second week in our series called Seeing, Love in the Round, and I just want to start this morning by doing a little bit of review. Last week we began by talking about the fact that all architecture and all design is just another way of telling a story. So for instance, uh, the ancient cathedrals of Europe were oftentimes laid out in the form of a cross. And just by being laid out in the form of a cross, whether a person who entered the building knew it or not, they were actually entering into the architect or the designer's intention, and they were entering into a way of, of uh, being a part of the gospel story. So, so much so that the form of a cross and coming into it uh, worked something like this, like just to come to church uh, would be the architect's way of saying, uh, you, have entered in, you have entered into Christ's passion, like just to come into church. Uh, it's brilliant storytelling. It's brilliant ways of weaving uh, the construction of the building around the story that we believe. And that's one of the reasons that we do this particular series here at the Vineyard every single year, where we rearrange the room into a circle. Why? Because when we do this, what we, what we uncover is that there are layers of the gospel that we oftentimes miss when we're just sitting in the normal rows and columns. Uh, layers like what? Well, layers like this. Uh, number one, church is a place where you should uh, be seen, and it's where, a place where you should also see. A church is a place where you should know, but it's also a place where you should be known. Uh, it would be a real tragedy to be a part of a church and never see or know your neighbors. And that's what this whole series is about. It's about waking up and having the eyes of our uh, head, but hopefully the eyes of our heart opened up so we can actually see our neighbors. And one of the things we talked about last week was you never learn how to do the stuff out there. You always learn how to do the things that Jesus asks us to do in here first. And so if we're ever going to learn to love our neighbors out there, it'll be because we, we learn to love our neighbors in here. But in order to learn to love our neighbors in here, guess what? You actually have to see them. You have to see them. And so this is just a way of rearranging the room for a deeper entry into the story. And here's the part 
that uh, some of us are very, very acutely aware of right now. Uh, some of this arrangement isn't necessarily comfortable. It's a bit uncomfortable. Seeing other people is one thing. Being seen is like, ah, I don't know. I, I just want to say this morning, let's just go with it. Here's why. Because oftentimes things that are uncomfortable are still very, very good for you, right? Uh, having a baby, I'm told, is very uncomfortable. It is very good. It is very good. Getting your teeth cleaned, very uncomfortable, very good. So sometimes there's something about entering into whatever is uncomfortable that leads to someplace good. Uh, here's what I want to do uh, at this point. I just want to put up our key text for this whole series, which is coming out of Luke chapter 10. Jesus has an encounter with an expert in the religious law. It goes like this. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this, and you will live. We're going to be riffing on this scripture for a few weeks, and I want to riff on it a little bit this morning. I want to start here, though. Basically, what the religious expert is asking Jesus is, is this. He's asking them, what's the meaning of life, Jesus? Like, what's the most important thing? And Jesus, Jesus uh, says to him this thing that Jesus often does. Uh, he says, well, why don't you just tell me? You know, some people will come and ask Jesus a question, and he always does this thing where he'll ask them a question. Well, how do you read it? And the guy says, well, I think it's love the Lord your God with everything you got, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself, and Jesus is like, you're totally right. If you do that, you're going to enter into the real kind of life. And one of the things we discovered last week was that there's this deep connection between loving God and loving people, and it's all over the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the Pentateuch. It's in the prophets. It's in the law. It is in uh, Jesus's teaching. It's in the epistles. It's from the beginning to the end. There's this idea that you can't just love God. But if you love God, you'll eventually love people, right? Yeah, like this is just all over the Bible. Like, like if you say you love God that you can't see, how are you going to hate the brother you can see? Remember that scripture we looked at last week? It's just this idea that if we're loving God, we should in some way be growing in our love for other people. And so that's one connection that we see here. And uh, we talked a little bit about that this week. But there's another odd little wrinkle that's in this scripture, and I want to pick it up this morning because it's one of those things that you could, you could read this scripture your whole life and you could, you could just pass it by without even knowing it. And here's the wrinkle. It's that last little section. Jesus says, well, what are you going to do? You got to love, you got to love God with everything you have, but you love your neighbor. And how do you love your neighbor? As yourself, as yourself. You, you could read this scripture your whole life and you could miss this little moment here. And I want to talk to you this morning about uh, loving yourself for a few minutes. I want to talk to you about loving yourself. Why do I want to do that? I want to put a question up here, Seth, if you want to put that up. Here's a question that I've been, that I've been wrestling with a little bit this week, especially if Jesus says the most important thing is to love God with everything you have and then love your neighbor as yourself. Here's a question. What if the love we have to share with others is in some way connected to the love we hold for ourselves, right? What if, what if how I feel about myself is often 
what I'm sowing into the community. Uh, let, me, let me frame it another way. Um, how many of you have ever met someone who was really bitter, uh, always, always complained about every person, never had a good word to say about anyone, uh, and was really, really difficult to be around? Anybody ever met that person? A little pro tip here. They're actually not mad at all those other people. Guess who they don't like? They don't like themselves. And there's something, there's something in, in this, this deal about learning to love ourselves. Uh, Jesus says, most important thing is love God with everything you have. If you do that, you're going to love your neighbor. But you can only love your neighbor to the measure that you actually know and love yourself. Right? Isn't that weird? What if the love we have to share with others is in some way connected to the love we hold for ourselves? And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about what it means to love oneself. And I want to do this in a few ways. And Seth, if you'll put up our little outline this morning. This is our little outline for the morning. So if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about hashtag self-care. And then I want to talk to you for a few minutes about divine image. Then I want to talk to you about clay pots. Then I want to talk to you about prophetic community. And then I want to talk to you about past and current. Self-care, divine image, clay pots, prophetic community, past and current. Okay, first I want to talk to you about hashtag self-care. Um, if you're talking about loving yourself, you can find all kinds of things on the internet, and especially if you go onto Instagram. Uh, in fact, yesterday I was on Instagram, and I just looked up the hashtag self-care, and one of the first things I noticed is that there are 23 million posts that have been tagged hashtag self-care. Part of what that tells me is, this is clearly on people's minds. How many of you have run across the hashtag, hashtag self-care? It's on people's minds. And here's what you'll find if you begin to scroll through them. You find all kinds of things. But what, part of what you begin to find is things like this. You'll find images of people taking naps with their dogs. Hashtag self-care. There's actually a lot of those. That was what was, it's not just that I found one, it's that I found a lot. And like, they must be pretending to sleep. That was the other part that made me laugh. It's like, who's taking these photos? <laughs> hey, hey, babe, when I go to sleep, put the dog next to my head and take a picture. Thanks. People, another thing you'll find is this. People who are going on some sort of a weight loss journey, hashtag self-care. Uh, you'll also find people saying that they will never go on another weight loss journey, hashtag self-care. <laughs> you see lots of, don't you? Yeah, you see lots of that. Uh, you, you find lots of people who are buying designer purses, hashtag self-care. Oh, and, the, and the thing that maybe you see more than anything else is people who are taking exotic vacations, Hashtag self-care. It's, it's everywhere. And then there's lots and lots of people who are just trying to be social media influencers. You know? Uh, can I just tell you something? If you're trying to be a social media influencer, don't hold your breath. <laughs> right? Don't hold your breath. Yeah. So there's this, there's this sense in which the world is offering us certain images of what it means to maybe care about ourselves or love ourselves. But I'm, I'm wanting to just start there to say, is this the real way we begin to love ourselves? I want to say, no, it isn't. And I want to go to the Bible for a moment 
as a way of just beginning to unearth maybe what it might look for us to love ourselves. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. This has to do with divine image. Divine image. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created human beings, look at this, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And I want to talk about this in a couple ways for us, because, because loving oneself has to start here or somewhere, somewhere very close to here. Uh, and there's two things that are in this little scripture that are very close to one another, but they need, they need distinction. Uh, the two things are this. Number one, you are made by God. And number two, you're made in his image. They're very close to one another, but they're different. And I just want to spend a moment sort of unpacking those two things. Number one, you were made by God. Uh, everybody in here was made by God. However that process works and however long it takes, uh, behind all the possibilities is the desire of God. Uh, here's what you have to know. God didn't make people because he needed them. God did not make people because he needed them. Uh, here's why. Because God, by his very nature, doesn't need things. God does not have needs. God has dreams, and people are not something he needed, but instead people are something that he wanted. That's very, very different. And so what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means you are made by God, and therefore you are infinitely wanted. You are eternally desired. You are made by God. It means you're infinitely wanted, and you're eternally desired. Uh, God doesn't need you. Uh, God was not lonely. God did not make people because he was bored in heaven. God is a perfect community within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has been from the beginning of time. Jesus didn't show up late to the party. Jesus has always been in on the party. Uh, God is not uh, isolated. God was not looking for more family. Uh, God was not uh, making creation out of a sense of his own lack. God was not trying to uh, fill some sort of uh, void in his own heart. No, uh, you and everyone else who's ever lived is an expression of his own uh, divine creativity and his own divine desire. And that means you are deeply wanted, you are deeply loved, and you are forever held in his affection. That's what that means. And, and this is important because some of us in the room, hey, what's up, dude? Uh, this is really important because some of us in the room have come from families where maybe we were not wanted. Uh, this is really important because some of us in the room have maybe come from families where you had mothers or fathers who were not the best mothers and fathers. Uh, some of us in the room know what it is to be abandoned. Uh, some of us in the room know what it is to be rejected. Uh, some of us in the room have experienced what I would call the sins of commission, like things have been done to you that were wildly inappropriate, right? But the thing that's more normal to most of us in the room are the sins of omission, right? All the things maybe you didn't get, maybe the words of affirmation, or, or maybe uh, a home experience uh, that built uh, confidence and, and taught basic life skills or or showed you the world was open to you in a way uh, that it really is. Maybe that stuff just didn't happen. Uh, some of us in the room have never really heard our parents say, I love you. 
Some of us in the room have never experienced the affection, especially of our fathers. Uh, those would be sins of omission. And in, and in that kind of atmosphere, you can, you can grow up, and it, it can be so quiet. And one of the things that you can pick up from that kind of a, an atmosphere is you can pick up this notion that you're not wanted. And you may, you may be living with that deep notion that you're not wanted or that you're not important, and you, you may not know it for years. In fact, you may be waking up to it even this morning a little bit. Uh, here's, here's what you need to know. More fundamental than anything that has ever happened to you because of your mother or your father is that you are deeply desired. Uh, you are loved. You are forever held in your father's embrace. Uh, you are not here because God needed you. You're only here because he wanted you. That's what it means to be made by God. But the second thing uh, that is in Genesis chapter 127 is that you're made in his image. You're, you're not just wanted, but you're made in his image. Uh, people are not an art project gone wrong. That's, humanity is not an art project gone wrong. We're not an animated accident. Uh, we're not on a shelf with a zillion equal parts. You know, uh, Human beings are the crown jewel of God's creation. In Genesis, at every moment God creates something, God says it's good. God says it's good. But when he gets to human beings, he says it's what? Very good. God, human beings are the crown jewels of God's creation. So we're made in his image. And I, I, I want to talk to you just for a moment about what that means. To be made in God's image is, it means a lot of things. But one of the main things it means is that you've been given creative capacity. Because when we read in Genesis chapter 1, 27, that he's made us and that he's made us in his image, uh, the only context for knowing who God is at this point in Genesis is he's only revealed himself as a creator. He has not yet revealed himself as a forgiver, a redeemer, anything else. So there's this sense in which to be made in God's image is deeply connected with creative capacity. And what does that mean? It means that every single person who is alive or who has ever been alive has the capacity to imagine or to dream a thing that is not yet and to make it into something that is. This is, this is what God did. God dreamed creation and spoke it into reality. He spoke it into being. And every single person who here, you have within you the creative spark to imagine a life that you don't currently have and you can make it. To imagine the world better than it currently is and to be a part of making it. Uh, to, to make things more beautiful. Every single person here has the, the, the spark inside of them. Now the divine image is more than that, but it is never less than that. And what this means is uh, that you, you, and by you, I just mean like the, the grand you, all of humanity is way more powerful than we know. Uh, there, there is a spark of creativity. There's a spark of brilliance. Uh, there's a spark of, of something that's interesting, infinitely interesting that is going on inside of you. And when you put these two realities together, that you were made by God and you were made in his image, it means something like this. It means you're worthy. It means you're, you're worthy of life and you're worthy of love. Uh, you're worthy of the life you have. Some of us here are sometimes tormented by thoughts of suicide. Uh, I just want to tell you, this morning, you've been made in the image of God. And because of that, you're infinitely wanted. And because of that, you have the capacity to make a world that is better. And if anybody here struggles with thoughts of suicide, what you need to know is you need to keep living 
because your future self may have reasons for living that your current self cannot imagine. Okay? This is really big stuff. It means you're worthy. You're worthy of life, the life that you have, and you're worthy of love. It means that you're valuable. It means that you're creative. It means that you're interesting. It means you're capable of mercy and compassion. And mercy and compassion are dearly close to the image of God. Like, and every step along the way, you and I are always capable of being the generous one. This is what it means. Okay, divine image. Clay pots. Paul says that we've been given divine light, but it's set inside of earthen vessels or clay pots. I've got, I think I've got a little scripture, Seth, from 2 Corinthians. Is that right? Do I have a 2 Corinthians one up there? Yeah. Paul is talking about something else, but look at this image he uses. He says, we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. He says that people are like little clay jars. And how many of you know, what happens when you drop a clay jar? Boom, it breaks, right? You've been made in the image of God. Uh, you have been given something of his essence, but you're also fragile. Tell you a little story. Uh, I have these little tiny coffee cups at home. Heather bought these coffee cups. She had Miranda's sister make them. What, what is her name? What's that? Carissa. So Carissa made these great little coffee cups. She's like a potter person, you know? And they're small. And they're, they're, the, the coffee cups are, are smaller than you think that you want them to be, right? But here's what I've discovered after having these coffee cups for two years. At home, what you want is small coffee cups. What you do not want is a big coffee cup because a big coffee cup just makes your coffee cold. That's all it does. And a small coffee cup, it keeps your coffee hot. And yeah, you have to fill it up more, but it's always hot. It's perfect. And they're the perfect size. Like you can put two fingers in them and they just, they hang just perfectly. And we have like six of these little guys and they're all irregular and they're very, I don't know, there's just something great about them. And I was washing the dishes a couple nights ago and I was doing the thing you do after you wash the dishes, which is you wipe off the countertops. And I gave it one of these big left-hand things right here back toward the sink. And when I did, I, I knocked one of my favorite little coffee mugs off the shelf, and it hit our tile floor, and it broke into no less than a million pieces. And when that happened, I knew that I was talking about loving yourself this week. And when it happened, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, hey, you know, that's, that's people. People are that fragile. So what, is it, what does it mean to know that you're, that you're loved? What does it mean to love yourself? Well, number one, it means to know that you're loved, that you've been made by God and that you've been made in his image. But here's the, here's the other part that it means when it comes to loving yourself. Uh, you have to wake up to your own fragility. People are fragile. Uh, uh, what does that mean? Uh, it means that people can be damaged in all sorts of ways. A part of loving yourself is learning just how fragile you are and what it takes to walk in wholeness. What does that mean? It means that we're the creature, we're not the creator. Again, right? It's just riffing again on that first point. Uh, no one in here is God. Uh, everyone has been made in his image, but no one is God. Uh, everyone is a creature. No one here is the ultimate creator. And so uh, part of what it means to love ourselves is to continually break free of the idea that I'm God, that I have it all together, 
that I'm ultimately powerful, that I'm ultimately strong. Part of what it means to love myself is to, is to let myself off of the God hook. That's what it means. Okay, what does it mean to love yourself and to live into your fragility? Well, I, I just want to offer a few suggestions this morning. And there may be some more that you need to uh, think about. But the first one has to do with Sabbath. Sabbath, that Old Testament and New Testament reality, that pattern of six on and one off. How many of you, how many of you here have ever worked and worked and worked and worked and gone without a Sabbath for a really long time? Anybody ever had a pattern in your life where you were just grinding and you, and you didn't have any days off and you just you were on? What happens to your body and your emotions and your spirit after that? You're done. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, there's, there's something about waking up to our own fragility when it comes to loving ourselves, and it's deeply connected with the idea of Sabbath. Loving yourself uh, is about getting rest. But here's one of the things that Sabbath also tells us. Uh, loving yourself is not about mostly getting rest, right? It's six on. It's one off. It's six on. It's one off. And that six on part is actually uh, really, really important too. Uh, you're so fragile that if you don't have a job, or let me just say it this way, you're so fragile, human beings are so fragile, that if we don't have meaning... And by the way, meaning is oftentimes deeply connected to work. Like if you don't have work and if you don't have meaning, what happens to you? Your, your body will go, uh, your heart will go, you get depressed, uh, you, you just start, you start losing it, right? Isn't that interesting that inside of Sabbath, there's the acknowledgement that if you, if you work too hard, everything goes, right? And your fragility shows up. And then inside of Sabbath is also the the acknowledgement that if you don't work at all, what happens? Everything goes, doesn't it? Yeah, six on, one off. There's something, there's something about our fragility that Sabbath keeps wanting to put its finger on. And, and one of the things that I notice in Sabbath with this six on, one off pattern uh, as well is, is this, that, that we cannot love ourselves without some sort of a Sabbath pattern, but because of that, loving ourselves means this. It means it's not about avoiding work or mostly resting. True self-care is not mostly about doing what is easier. Oftentimes, true self-care is about waking up to our fragility, and the paradox is oftentimes waking up to our fragility means waking up to the harder questions. Let me, uh, let me just explain that for a second. Loving yourself is less about taking myself off the hook, but investigating how I got on the hook in the first place. And a great question to begin to investigate this is always the question, why? Imagine that little coffee cup that I knocked off a couple nights ago and hits the floor, breaks into a million pieces, it shatters. Uh, why does it shatter, right? Well, it shatters because it got knocked into the floor, that's why. But think about the areas of your life where your fragility is showing up. Think about the areas where you're splintering or where you're shattering. A really great question is, why? And then just keep asking the question, why? Keep working down, because if you'll be honest with the question, why, it will take you back into your heart center. 
Uh, let me just give you an example of this. Uh, how many in the room this morning are really, really worn out? Not just like I stayed up a little too late, but like in my soul, I'm really, really tired. Anybody here? <clears throat> There's a few hands. Yeah, a really great question. If you're really, really worn out, why? Well, maybe the answer is because, because I work 24-7. Okay, why? Why are you working 24-7? Well, it's because I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. Why? Do you see how this works? The question why always takes us deeper into the heart center of what's going on in our life at a granular level. It's counterintuitive, but our fragility means asking the tough questions often and early. And really loving ourselves is never going to be found in avoiding or facing the issues of our lives. Uh, and here's the other part. We can actually face the issues of our life because at the end of the day, we're what? We're made by God and we're made in his image. Meaning that at the end of the day, I'm always eternally wanted, cared for, loved, and embraced. That is who I really am. Um, I'm, I'm 41 years old, and after 41 years old, after 41 years of living, uh, I've learned that there's three things that I really need on the regular in order, to, um, in order to lean into my own fragility, to keep it in front of myself and uh, to keep myself from like splintering or shattering, you know? And I'll just share three things with you. They may not be your things, but they might be helpful. Uh, here's the three things after 41 years I know that I need because I'm a fragile person. Uh, number one, I need exercise. Uh, number two, I need books. And then number three, I need a silent retreat about once a year. I need exercise, I need books, and I need silent retreat. Uh, I need exercise because I need a place for my energy to go. Um, I'm wired where I have an overabundance of energy, and because of that, the top, the top 20% of my energy is probably just angst that makes me less than, less than pleasant to always be with. And here's what I've learned. I, if I just go to the gym, a lot of that angst energy that is sometimes not super pleasant just goes away. It's like, it's like internal emotional turmoil. I can just go to the gym and like do something and it'll just go away. Like I can carry things around. If I don't go to the gym, I, I carry problems much, much bigger with me. And I don't know how to say that. Uh, Heather knows on the days that I've been to the gym and when I haven't. Why? I'm just carrying more stir with me. Yeah. Uh, it gives that energy someplace to go. Uh, number two, I need books. Why? I need books because I need a place to feel. I'm sometimes a person who's fairly dis disconnected from my tender emotions. Not when I'm preaching, oddly enough. But in regular life, I'm sometimes fairly disconnected from the tender side of my emotions. And books happen at a slow enough, sp a slow enough pace and a, uh, in, a, in a private enough space that I can feel things that I don't feel any other way. Not even in music, right? And it took me years to figure this out. When I was a young kid, I didn't like reading. But as I've gotten older, I found that there's a, there's a sanctuary in there. And then finally, uh, I need silence, like a silent retreat for two or three days about once a year. I need a place where there's nothing required of me. You know, why? Because most of my life is talking. And I found that if I can have two or three days in my life where I don't have to talk, where I don't have to have any answers, where I don't have to have anything that sounds good, it's 
tremendously wonderful. And here's what's super great. Uh, you can go have a silent retreat about 35 miles from here at Gethsemane. Just go spend a few days with the monks. It's phenomenal. I highly recommend it. Uh, people come from all over the world to go to Nelson County, and it's right here, and most of us don't know about it. I just want to tell you, two or three days every year, you should just go, disappear, eat monk food, stay in the little Spartan closet that they give you. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And you'll just come out, and you don't even know what happened to you other than you went into a different world, and it's a good world. Okay, I want to talk about prophetic community here for a moment. I want to share one scripture with you and tell a story. Prophetic community. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, he says, The one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. He's talking about prophetic gifts. He's talking about like gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's saying that when the church gets together, oftentimes prophetic gifts are in the room. And when there's prophetic gifts in the room when the church is together, it should be for strengthening others, encouraging them, and comforting them. And you might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with loving yourself? Well, here's what I found. Loving yourself is a lot easier when we're in a prophetic community. Here's why. Because sometimes, sometimes I'm unaware of, of the good things that I'm carrying. Sometimes I can't see what's happening in my life in a great way. And, and what's weird is it's oftentimes very obvious to other people who are in the room. How many of you know that, that oftentimes you're very unaware of uh, the God thing that's happening in your life or the good thing that's happening in your life, but people around you will call it out. Has that ever happened to anybody in the room? Yeah, it's phenomenal. Uh, we, need, we need to be a part of a church that's a prophetic community. Uh, we need to be a part of a place where the Spirit uh, gives us Holy Spirit nudges uh, and, and shares things with us about the other people who are in the room because it actually empowers them to love themselves in a deeper way. I'll tell you a story from many years ago when I was about 17. Um, when I was about 17, I went to uh, a church meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina. <clears throat> and at the end of this church meeting, they basically said, hey, if anybody here has never been here before, if you're a first-time visitor and you want to do this, uh, you're free to. And the offer was, uh, come up, we have some teams, and they want to pray for you. The only thing they want to know about you is your name. And then they want to just pray and ask God if there's anything that he'd like to share with you about you. Which, when you hear me tell this story, you're like, that is a very weird, I mean, you've realized that's a very strange little setup, right? Yeah, it was. Um, after the meeting was over, I went up. And of course, I'm like maybe 17. And I meet three individuals. And it's two, two little grannies and like a 12-year-old girl, right? And... And as soon as I meet the two little grannies and the 12-year-old girl, I thought, oh, this is going to be lame. <laughs> I wouldn't think that anymore, but I did at the time. And so this, this sweet little granny lady, she says to me, she says, hey, why don't you just have a seat? And uh, she says, what's your name? And I said, Adam. She goes, that's great. We don't want to know anything else. We just want to pray for you. And if, and if, if we get any impression or if we feel like God is speaking anything for us, uh, about you. We just want to share it. And we're only going to share things that are like positive and encouraging. We're not here to like tell you about your secret sin or something. We're just here to, to share with you some positive things we may hear from God. And, and so they prayed. And what was super funny about it is they didn't even pray out loud. So you can imagine how awkward. It's just 
I'm just looking at my feet, you know, because I don't know what to do. And they sat there for a few minutes, and then finally this, this, this little granny lady, she says, well, Adam, I think I have a few things I want to share with you. And she looks to the two ladies with her, and she says, and you, you girls can jump in at any time you want. And she goes, uh, here's what I think. She goes, I was just praying, and she goes, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me that you're a musician, and you're a songwriter, and you're called to shepherd God's church. And when I heard that, I, I, well, I just couldn't believe it, because I didn't know these people. They didn't, they had never seen me. Uh, they didn't know any of my people or anybody that was ever connected to me. When I heard this, uh, I like fell into the floor. You know, I just remember like falling onto my knees in the floor and the little 12 year old girl put her hand on my head and she said, and you're going to write songs that people around the world are going to know. And she began to say some other things, right? Now here I am over 20 years later, here I am over 20 years later, every single thing that those three ladies told me in that little moment, every single thing has come to pass. Not some of them, all of those things have come to pass. And what is that? It, it's, it's called being a part of a prophetic community. Like, like hearing, hearing God's heart for someone. And by the way, that may seem very uh, unusual to you. I just want you to know that's normal. Like when Christians get together, the Holy Spirit who knows everything is in the room. And he, he will oftentimes share little things with us. Yeah. And I just want to say, Vineyard, we can never let go of that. Like during worship, if you get a little impression for someone who is in the room, you, if it's encouraging and, and, and strengthening, you should share it with them. It could change their life. People have literally been changed here. And why? It, 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 it releases the love of God in a, in a tremendous way. We can never let go of it. Never let go of it. Okay. Finally, I want to talk to you about past and current. And here's what I mean by past and current. Some of us, some of us in the room have maybe been on a spiritual journey in the last few years, and, and maybe you're at, an, at this place where you've actually learned to love yourself in the last year or two. Or maybe you've just changed. And by change, I mean maybe in the last year or two, uh, you wouldn't have even def defined it as loving yourself, but you've just awakened to the love of God in a new way, and uh, the borders are not what they used to be. You know, things that used to be like so black and white, it's not black and white anymore, and you, you're seeing uh, the hand of God and the kindness of God in places you never saw it before, right? Maybe things have really changed. Maybe, maybe you've grown. Uh, maybe in the last year or two, you've let go of a bunch of stuff. But, but maybe, uh, maybe we also carry around some shame or some embarrassment from our past. Like, like, like maybe... Maybe there's a new version of ourselves that's happened in the last year or two, but the truth is if we think about the previous version of ourselves, if we think about who we were five or six years ago, maybe we get embarrassed or maybe there's a great deal of shame or maybe beyond that, we just really don't like that person. Uh, maybe we can't hardly even tell a story about who we used to be. Or maybe to change the frame here just a little bit, um, maybe, maybe some of us in the room a few years ago were really like far away from Jesus. Maybe we were like hard drinking. Maybe we were drugging like crazy. Maybe, maybe we were sleeping with everything that we could find. And, and maybe Jesus did something to us and now we've had some sort of an awakening. 
But when we think back to who we used to be, it's pretty embarrassing, and maybe we don't have much compassion for that person. And I just want to tell you, I think part of the invitation this morning is to begin to love ourselves here in the moment, but then also to begin to extend some mercy to the person we used to be. Can I tell you why? Here's why. If we can't love the previous version of ourselves, if we can't love our previous past self, there's a very good chance that people who exhibit those qualities that used to be in us in our past, things that bum us out or make us mad, there's a very good chance that they're going to be a major challenge to our ability to love people who exhibit those same qualities in the current moment. You know? Uh, learning how to love who we are right now, but then also who we used to be. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's probably some people in the room this morning who maybe grew up fairly fundamentalist, you know? Maybe you grew up in a really fundamentalist religious place where the, you know, it was just black and white, like in and out. And the, the in group was like who was at church with us and the out group was everybody who wasn't, you know? And maybe in the last four or five years, uh, you've started to realize that Jesus loves the people in here and he loves the people out there too, right? And maybe you're pretty embarrassed that you were ever that like hardcore fundamentalist uh, from back in the day. Well, here's the, here's the good news this morning. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a call for us to, to love ourselves today, but then to also to extend a little mercy to the person who used to be a fundamentalist. Because here's, here's why. Because the more we grow in the love of God, uh, the more we're going to meet fundamentalists. You know, uh, the, the more we grow in the love of God, the more we will meet the person we used to be. And the last thing we want to do is become that arrogant, like, like that arrogant uh, Twitter person who's like really, really had some sort of a awakening only to hate everybody on Twitter that they used to be, you know? That's the last thing we want to do. And I think, I think there may be a little call and a little bit of mercy in the room for us this morning to begin to love who we are right now, but also to begin to, to love who we used to be and go, you know what? That person, that person was just doing the best they could. That person was doing the best they could with what they had. Um, that previous version of myself, he was... He was just as in as he could be. He didn't know any better, right? Yeah. So that's what we want to do this morning. Um, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't, you, uh, why don't you take some space back there behind the white paintings, and why don't everybody else in the room, why don't we stand up? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.